You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Johanna in Austria. I'm Annie in the USA. And you are listening to your favorite international podcast. Well, I hope we are everyone's favorite international podcast. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining us again today. Thank you, as always, for your support and a special thank you to our patrons who help make this podcast possible. That was a lot of peas. One of the things I bought with Patreon money is a pop filter so that when I use <laughs> P words, you don't get that explosion in your ears anymore. So thank you, Patreon. So yeah, a big special thank you to our patrons who help make this podcast possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are so, so grateful, beyond grateful. We really do appreciate all of you. Last week, we asked our Patreons for their input and ideas. And let me tell you one thing, you delivered, you helped us out a lot. You spoke, we listened, and we think we know what you, what you want and what we need to do now. Yeah, so. we've got some good ideas now. It's going to be good. I can't wait. Today... We are going to be resuming our discussion on those famous Rochester rappers, the Fox sisters. Quick warning, in this episode, we will again be discussing alcoholism. If you need help or someone you love is struggling, we encourage you to reach out to your local support services. If you haven't listened to our part one from last week, please go back and do so, because otherwise you will be missing a lot of information that you're going to be needing for this episode. Last week, we discussed the early history of the Fox family and, you know, how they came to be in a house in Heightsville, New York, where rapping noises in the house led them to develop a system of raps that helped them to communicate with the spirit of a peddler named Charles B. Rosner, who was murdered and buried in their basement. I'm, I'm kind of laughing at that, but um, yeah. yeah, it's not funny. These events are considered by many to be the birth of modern spiritualism, which is a religious movement, by the way. That's right. Kate and Maggie were initially removed from the house in Heightsville with the hope that the noises would stop once they left the house. But guess what? The noises didn't stop. And then they thought the noises would stop if the girls were separated. But again, that didn't work either. And before long, both girls were living with their much, much older sister, Leah, who would become their manager. So now the question is, did Leah truly have gifts of her own? Or, you know, did she seize an opportunity? And today we're going to discuss that question. We'll talk more specifically about how the seances went. And we'll debate the legitimacy or hoaxiness of this whole situation. Now, let's start with... Why they took the show on the road, so to speak. According to Leah's accounts, once the girls were living with her, the spirit activity increased and changed in nature. Now it wasn't just knocking and rapping sounds anymore. Sometimes objects would levitate or fly across the room. More perplexingly, sometimes things would become so heavy that nobody and nothing could lift them. Leah claims that it was a common saying in their house that the spirits were holding things down. Which sounds pretty inconvenient. It really does, doesn't it? Like all of a sudden you've got a bobby pin, but it's just fucking Thor's hammer. Like you cannot <laughs> and your morning is fucked. Like what are you going to even yeah. do? Just go back to bed. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The spirits weren't only interacting with the physical world. They were putting a lot of demand on the sisters to get more and more public with the seances and to convince the doubters about the truth of immortality. 
The sisters and their mother tried so hard to convince the spirits that they had done everything they could, and surely their part in this was over. But alas, the spirits weren't having it. That's right. The following is a quote from Leah's book. She's talking here about the spirits compelling them to perform. And she writes, quote, At last they resorted to more violent measures of coercion. One morning, on awakening, we found four coffins drawn on the kitchen floor, of life-size and corresponding to the different sizes of Mother, myself, Margareta, and Katie. And after we had washed them away, we found next morning the same fearful objects on the ceiling. Twice again was this repeated in the dining room, so that they came four times in all. They were handsomely and artistically drawn in black and white, the lids being thrown back to show how beautifully they had done the work of pinking the white linings. Each coffin had the drawing of its plate, and on them were perfectly and correctly written our respective names and ages, while beneath them was also written in large plain letters, quote, If you do not go forth and do your duty, you will soon be laid in your coffins, end quote. Zoinks. Well, fuck that. That's menacing. Right? Right? <laughs> it's, yeah, no thank you. I'd rather wake up with like a horse head in my, no, I wouldn't, but you know what I mean. I know, I keep, that's what I kept thinking of, was that <laughs> the horse head in the bed. <laughs> so they call their friends to come look at these coffins that had been painted so beautifully on the ceiling. And their friends are like, um... Listen, I think at this point, maybe you should listen to the spirits and just do whatever they want. And the sisters, they were like, well, you're twisting my arm, but if we must. <sighs> Their mother, Margaret, wanted to take the girls back to the house that you remember they had been building a house during the original noises in Hydesville near their brother David. And so she really wants to get back to that house and her husband. The house is now completed. But Leah goes on to explain that they said farewell to the spirits. And then they were very, very sad because things did get so quiet and they missed hearing from them. But things were only quiet for a short while. And then some friends came over, specifically Mr. Caprone of Auburn, who had previously tested the girls by reaching into a bowl and scooping into his closed fist a bunch of seashells. He then asked the spirit to wrap the number of seashells that were in his hand. The number was correct, and he became a believer. Bowls of seashells as decoration has been a thing for longer than I thought. Not that I've given it a lot of thought. <laughs> so these friends arrive, and the sisters explain that, sorry, the sisters aren't communicating with them anymore. But this doesn't deter the men, who think maybe the spirits won't rap for the women, but they'll still rap for them. And wouldn't you know it, it works. They do, and they demand more of an audience, which leads the three sisters to begin to visit the homes of others who would in turn invite their friends to seances. I like the way you say that word better, seance. It's the French. Seance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's nice. Oh. <laughs> uh -huh. And this is where we need to tell you just a little bit about the posts, Isaac and Amy Post. They were good friends of the Fox sisters, and to quote directly from Wikipedia, <laughs> quote, Isaac and Amy Post were radical Quakers from Rochester, New York, and leaders in the 19th century anti-slavery and women's rights movements. Among the first believers in spiritualism, they helped to associate the young religious movement with the political ideas of the reform movement, end quote. 
1837, the general view of Quakers, who were otherwise known as the Society of Friends, it wasn't much different from the views a lot of organizations take today. So their position was that while slavery was clearly and definitely wrong, they also didn't like these very radical ideas of abolitionism, radical change. They weren't in support of that. And for our international listeners, when I say abolitionism, I'm talking specifically about abolishing the practice of keeping human beings as slaves in the United States. So Amy Post, she broke with the teachings of the church and started her first petition against slavery. There were many to follow. The Posts held abolitionist meetings in their home starting from the early 1840s, and theirs was among the homes that the girls visited for seances regularly. Some of the human rights trailblazers uh, that visited them often were people like William Lloyd Garrison, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, and Susan B. Anthony. They were especially close with Frederick Douglass, who had escaped his enslavement in Maryland and fled to Massachusetts and New York, where his gift of language helped further his cause for the end of slavery. And I feel like I should also add that obligatory asterisk, right, stating that, you know, of course there were people who claimed to be spiritualists who also supported slavery. But there are always people who are going to wrap up whatever religion they want around them as an excuse to hurt or subjugate other people. We're not giving those people any of our time. The vast majority of spiritual messages from the other side spoke of the importance of equality and freedom, and the post-home, which we have pictures of, we'll post in the Facebook group, it was also a stop on the Underground Railroad and was able to hide as many as 20 escaped people at a time, which is amazing. So the purpose of these more frequent meetings was, according to the spirits, to be sure that the rappings could be heard even in larger spaces, maybe even a public hall. Leah's memoir says that the spirits themselves told them to hire Corinthian Hall and prove to those attending that communication with the other side was possible. All right, let's talk about their first large public appearances, because it was a series. It started on Wednesday, November 14th, 1849. It was at 7 o'clock in the evening at the Corinthian Hall in Rochester. Admission was 75 cents a person, and they rented the hall out and would give, I think it was like four performances over three days, or three nights and four days, but it was consecutive, you know. The city of Rochester is located pretty close to the, at that time, somewhat recently completed Erie Canal, and it was really a booming, booming town at this point. The hall was brand new, and this is what the Rochester Music Hall of Fame says about it, quote, Corinthian Hall was designed by architect Henry Searle. Originally, the hall was to be called the Athenaeum. But the day before the dedication, Reynolds looked at the large Corinthian columns Searle placed behind the stage and thought of the more fitting name. Exchange Place was also renamed Corinthian Street. Though it was a simple design, the hall was praised far and wide as the most perfectly constructed for acoustics of any hall in the country. Architects came from other cities to study its proportions, ease of access, heating and ventilation systems, and its gas lighting. It was truly a source of pride for the emerging city. During Corinthian Hall's heyday, there were continuous bookings of all the great orators of the day, including Susan B. Anthony, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Charles Dickens, William H. Seward, William Lloyd Garrison, and Frederick Douglass. In July of 1851, a parade of grand vocal and instrumental concerts took place. 
On July 22nd and 24th, the famed Swedish soprano Mademoiselle Jenny Lind, known around the world as the Swedish Nightingale, brought her tour group, sponsored by P.T. Barnum, to Rochester for the most unforgettable performances that Rochester had ever seen. End quote. So, speaking of Frederick Douglass, I also wanted to mention that Corinthian Hall in Rochester is where, on July 5, 1852, Douglas made his very famous 5th of July speech, in which he asks the question, quote, what to the slave is the 4th of July? In his speech, he points out the very obvious hypocrisy of a nation celebrating its freedom while there were still so many people living here who were enslaved. If you're from Rochester and are wondering where you can view this marvel of acoustics and pay homage to its incredibly rich history, stop it right now, because it was torn down and the site where it once stood is now a parking lot at the end of Corinthian Street. That's it. I know. I was like, oh, I want to go here. Nope, Mm. not there anymore. But on the night the Fox sisters would perform there, it was packed. I think I read somewhere, you know, I'm not exactly sure how many people it held. They mentioned hundreds, and I think I read somewhere that Frederick Douglass had an audience of 600, so... Their first large public appearance was to a lot of people, hundreds, not dozens. And many, if not most, were critics and non-believers who were there thinking that they were going to see the girls publicly humiliated and unmasked as frauds. Early form of hate-watching. Yes, exactly. And they hissed and booed when the girls came out on stage. It wasn't Maggie and Kate who came out, but Leah who led Maggie on stage. And Maggie was wearing a light blue dress and looking much younger than her 15 years. Kate was not on stage that night. She was out of town visiting friends. I think probably she was still seen as too young for this sort of thing is my guess. But there's a lot of things that are hard to get exact confirmation on in this story. To begin the seance, first, a history of the girls' communication with the spirits up until this point was given by their friend, Mr. Capron, member of the Seashells. He was an early historian of the spiritualism movement, and so he related to the audience the history of the Fox sisters beginning in Hydesville and their ability to commune with spirits by rapping. And as he's talking about this, everyone in the hall can hear the rapping. After the lecture and demonstration, a committee of five men was chosen by the audience to investigate the noises in an attempt to ascertain exactly where they were coming from. This first committee held an investigation of the girls at the Hall of the Sons of Temperance. The committee reported back that they heard rapping distinctly in various parts of the room, and they reported that the questions that they asked, the answers had been maybe a little bit ambiguous. They also reported that you could feel a jar when the rapping was heard. You could feel, so in other words, when I say a jar, I mean that you could feel the vibration of the knock, right? Is that clear? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. One member of the committee put his hands on the feet of the sisters and then his other hand on the floor right near them and reported that there was no movement by the girl's feet, but there was vibration in the floor. They also reported that when the sisters were separated, there wasn't any noises. But if a third person was put between the two girls, the sounds resumed. Everybody on the committee agreed that there were sounds, but no one could figure out any way in which a hoax was being committed. So a second committee, made up of five new people, 
people chosen by the people on the previous committee was formed, and they did their own investigation, and they were also unable to reach any conclusion as to how these noises were being made. The girls were then investigated by a group of women who had them strip-searched, and this is reported as, as being sort of understandably traumatic, especially for Maggie, who would have been around 15. It should also be noted that many felt that... I guess a lot of people felt that by allowing themselves to even be investigated and searched, they were not the sort of women that could be respected, right? Like no self-respecting woman would allow herself to be strip-searched, so... It's kind of a conundrum, though, right? It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yeah. There was no... Exactly. And nothing was found on them that would indicate that they were cheating and creating these sounds with, I don't know, rocks that they were dropping or any number of things. Also during these investigations, they had the girls stand on glass. I thought this was really interesting to see if they were manifesting the sounds using electricity in the air. People then just didn't really understand how electricity worked, and I am not judging because I don't either. It's fine. But even today, people who believe in ghosts do believe that they are able to harness electricity in order to communicate. Mm. So this is an idea that goes right back to the origins of the idea of communicating with the other side. I just, I thought that was interesting. I mean, this, the electricity in the air, it's not long before Tesla comes, appears on this earthly stage, right? That's right. That's an episode for sure. Yeah. So we've talked about the Society for Psychical Research in the first episode, and I believe we might have talked about it in the Enfield Poltergeist episode, maybe. But they have what's called the Sci Encyclopedia, and it's a great source for this topic, and it lists a few more of the ways that the girls were tested. For example, it says that in Buffalo, New York in 1851, three medical professors from the University of Buffalo reported after the tests that no sounds were heard if the girls' knees were held or if they had pillows underneath their feet, which led them to conclude that the women were causing them by physical means. So, you know, like cracking their knees or cracking their toe joints or something like that, which was an explanation many believed. The Sci Encyclopedia article goes on to say that in June of 1857, Leah and Kate accepted a challenge that was put out by the Boston Courier, which offered to pay $500 to anyone who could prove spirit communication to the satisfaction of a group of Harvard professors. The conclusion was that while the Fox sisters were the only mediums from the ten who attempted the feat to produce any sort of noise, they were dismissed as, quote, a little rapping easily traceable to their persons and easily done by others without the pretense of spirits, end quote. So easy to do that, right? It In is, theory. yeah. The science encyclopedia is good. They're such, they're such skeptics. They come at everything from a yeah. debunking point of view. We will obviously link to the page on the sisters in the science encyclopedia by Karen Wehrstein and Robert McLuhan. I'm sorry if I butchered those names. If you want to read up more on some of the tests the foxes went through, you're going to find it there. Now, it's fair to say they might have genuinely feared for their lives, for while there was an ever-increasing number of people open to the idea that you might communicate from the other side, there were also plenty of people who felt this was witchcraft, and there are reports of plots to literally tar and feather the sisters by angry mobs having been thwarted during their demonstrations. But after that first big public seance, the Rochester Daily Democrat wrote, quote, that those who were present could not but admit the evidence of the seances that the ghost was there, end quote. 
And so they had enough supporters to eke out a living in Rochester, having seances and receiving invitations to other parts of the state to perform their mediumship there as well. They would begin by sitting in a circle, and a prayer would be said, sometimes a hymn would be sung, and then Leah, who acted as the interpreter of the knocking, would wait for one or both of the sisters to slip into trance and for the tappings to begin the evening's events. They were widely successful and were able to travel the world. But were they happy? One aspect of their mediumship which is worth mentioning is the occasional problematic assumption that because they were women, who often met in a dark room, some men would attempt to take liberties, thinking maybe they were selling more than a conversation with the other side. Mediumship was a good way for a woman to make money, but it wasn't easy, like, at all. Mm-mm. No, I would imagine they had to fend off a lot of handsy men in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Leah stayed in New York and was married to a man named Calvin Brown in 1851. Unfortunately, he died in 1853, and five years later, in 1858, when Leah married again, this time to wealthy New Yorker Daniel Underhill, she didn't have to work any longer if she didn't want to. Maggie had met and fallen in love with the Arctic explorer Elijah Kane. We talked about that last week, and Annie said he would be right up my alley, and she's right. He has a magnificent beard. <laughs> yeah. And it does seem she may have been telling the truth when, after his death, she claimed that they had not just been engaged, but, in fact, that they had secretly been married. He had been giving her the old My Fair Lady treatment, right? Yeah. She wasn't good enough for his family, and he didn't approve of spiritualism. She took his name, becoming Margareta Fox Kane, after his death, and she then converted to Catholicism, but was still rejected by his family and was ultimately denied the small inheritance that she felt should have been hers. Sorry, I just wanted to say how much that really does suck. It, it kind of makes her sound like... It makes her sound like she was scheming just to get money out of the mm. situation, but I think they might have actually been married, or at least... I think so too, yeah. yeah at least she really genuinely believed that they were, and she desperately... It's, she couldn't just get a regular job, and she'd given up being a medium yeah. for him, so it was she was, again, stuck in this catch-22, where the only way she could live the life that his parents would be proud of having a daughter-in-law like that, she needed the money from his estate to do that. But the thing is, if if your parents-in-law are against you, you don't stand a chance, no, no. matter what you change. change. No, it's, it's true. just, yeah. yeah. It also seems that this whole thing, the whole situation drove a wedge between her and her sister Leah, uh, who had actually warned her younger sister that Kane's family would never accept her. There you see, she's older and and has more experience in life. Yeah. She was devastated by his family's rejection, and then she went to the United Kingdom to be with Kate. Kate had been in England since 1871 and loved the freedoms she had away from her older sister. A year after her arrival, she married Henry Jenkin, who was an attorney and scholar and devoted spiritualist. Henry encouraged his wife and Kate's powers as a medium would grow exponentially. She began to use automatic writing sometimes. She would write things that were in reverse script, so you could only read the message when it was held to a mirror. She was also known for being able to communicate simultaneously. And this is the bit that makes one wonder if she did have some kind of gift, because what it means that apparently she could have a conversation with someone while also writing a message on a paper with automatic writing, right? Yeah. Which is kind of hard to that do. That seems hard. Yeah. That's very hard. 
she frequently summoned the spirit of Benjamin Franklin. I'm, what's what's up with Benjamin Franklin? He's crashing right? every party. <laughs> every, he has to be everywhere. Spirit writing would appear on blank pieces of paper placed under the table, and some said she could bring forth apparitions. Mm. They had two children, and Kate and Henry really were happy. Until the end of 1881, when her beloved husband died of a stroke in London at the age of 58. And now a widow with two children to support, she was forced to return to New York with her children to live with her sister, Leah. In 1885, with the support of her wealthy husband, Leah published The Missing Link in Modern Spiritualism, which was her history of the Fox family and spiritualism, and Kate and Maggie felt for their older sister was once again capitalizing on their lives, and they resented that while they were regularly attacked as frauds, she never seemed to face the same criticism. Kate had apparently been forced back into performing to support her family. In early May of 1888, Kate was arrested. Someone had called in a tip to the police saying she was drinking so much that she was neglecting her children. And one morning, a social worker from the Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Children and a police officer knocked on her door. Kate answered and was clearly intoxicated, and Kate's sons, who were aged 12 and 13, were sent to what's referred to as a juvenile asylum, so some sort of foster care. I'm also very impressed that you did have, like, child welfare in 1888 in the United States. I think that's very impressive. Oh, yeah. Yep. Maggie was in England when Kate was arrested, and so she ended up sending a telegram and pretended to be one of the boy's uncles, you know, one of the deceased father's brothers, and in these telegrams, she said that she was the boy's legal guardian and ordered them to release the children back to their mother. They released the boys to Kate and she fled the country with them, meeting up with Maggie in England. It's, that's, the whole situation is just terrifying, really. I love how quick Maggie is just pretending to be a man to get shit done, basically. But also, I mean, was she neglecting the boys? I think she was. I think it was probably benign neglect due to how much she was drinking. Mm. I think maybe the intervention came at a good time. You know, you hate yeah. to have something like that have to happen. Yeah. Kate and Maggie felt sure that Leah was behind Kate's arrest and that it was a power grab in order to try to control her sister and take the children. And the time was right to shake things up. Maybe literally. Who can say? There are also accounts, though, that Leah had been made aware of how seriously Kate's drinking had become. Both of her sisters had drinking problems, and she had tried, apparently, to get them some help, but she did not have any luck. And I feel like I, I do need to mention the other side of that story. In October of 1888, a reporter offered $1,500, so that is some serious carpet money, to the sisters if they would come clean and tell the truth about how they had tricked everyone and give an exclusive story. Maggie and Kate really needed the money, and as a bonus, they would be able to get a very public revenge against their sister Leah. They would tell the truth. But what was the truth? On October 21st, 1888, at the New York Academy of Music, Maggie would appear before an audience of around 2,000 people. Included in the audience was Kate, there to support her sister, but still keeping a low profile so as not to give anyone any more ideas about taking her children from her. Maggie took the stage and explained that everything had been a hoax. 
that the people who thought the sisters were creating rapping noises by simply cracking their joints were correct. In front of a shocked audience, she demonstrated the rapping sound, and physicians from the audience were welcomed onto the stage to confirm that she was, in fact, making these loud sounds with the joints in her toes. Her signed confession was given to the press and published, and I wanted to read you some of her actual published confession. Quote, Mrs. Underhill, my eldest sister, took Katie and me to Rochester. There it was that we discovered a new way to make the wraps. My sister Katie was the first to observe that by swishing her fingers, she could produce certain noises with her knuckles and joints, and that the same effect could be made with the toes. Finding that we could make wraps with our feet, first with one foot, then with both, we practiced until we could do this easily when the room was dark. Like most perplexing things when made clear, it is astonishing how easily it is done. The wrapping is simply the result of perfect control of the muscles of the leg below the knee, which govern the tendons of the foot and allow the action of the toe and ankle bones that are not commonly known. Such perfect control is only possible when the child is taken at an early age and carefully and continually taught to practice the muscles, which grow stiffer in later years. This, then, is the simple explanation of the whole method of the knocks and wraps. She goes on to write, quote, A great many people, when they hear the rapping, imagine at once that the spirits are touching them. It is a very common delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me some years ago when I lived in 42nd Street, and I did some rappings for them. I made the spirit rap on the chair, and one of the ladies cried out, I feel the spirit tapping me on the shoulder. Of course, that was pure imagination. She concluded with a really touching apology. Quote, I loathe the thing I have been. I used to say to those who wanted me to give a seance, quote, You are driving me into hell. And then the next day I would drown my remorse in wine. I was too honest to remain a medium. That's why I gave up my exhibitions. I have seen so much miserable deception. Every morning of my life, I have it before me. When I wake up, I brood over it. That is why I am willing to state that spiritualism is a fraud of the worst description. I have had a life of sorrow. I have been poor and ill, but I consider it my duty, a sacred thing, a holy mission, to expose it. I want to see the day when it is entirely done away with. After my sister Katie and I expose it, I hope spiritualism will be given a death blow. End quote. Was it given a death blow? After Maggie's shocking confession, by the way, Kate was in the audience for moral support when this happened, but once Maggie confessed, shockwaves rocked the spiritualist movement. I mean, obviously, right? There were a lot of articles saying that Maggie had destroyed spiritualism by coming forward and telling the truth. But for every person who said, okay, look, she admitted it, she's a fraud, she's a fake, there was someone else saying that she only made the confession because she needed the money. Maybe they were right. In November 1889, she recounted, publishing a retraction in the New York press where she admits to lying because she was desperate for money and was really not in her right mind. She insists she still believes in spiritualism. But she wouldn't perform as a medium for long and there would be no happy ending. On 1st of November 1890, Leah died at age 77. On 2nd of July 1892, Kate died. She was only 55 years old. And on 8th of March 1893, at the age of 59, Maggie died. 
Leah's death was attributed to old age, but Kate and Maggie both died due to complications of their alcoholism. Maggie was especially destitute, essentially homeless, and living in a borrowed apartment when she passed away. It was only through the kindness of people who had known the sisters that Maggie and Kate were interred together at the Cypress Hill Cemetery in Brooklyn. Barbara Weisberg writes, quote, By the time Maggie died, spiritualism had already waned in the United States, but its influence had grown internationally. Britain in particular was a center. The movement reached a peak there after World War I, as it had in the United States after the Civil War. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, a fervent spiritualist, fiercely defended mediums against the attacks of Harry Houdini, the renowned magician who delighted in exposing their tricks. End quote. Now, of course, the question is, did the sisters have special gifts, or was it all a fraud? In an article for the Paris Review, Edward White explains the difficulty with the many tests given to the sisters by skeptics. Quote, In the first four years of the Fox's fame, the... <laughs> For four years of the Fox's fame. <laughs> Say this ten times. In the first four years of the Fox's fame, there was ample evidence that their rapping was a fraud. Some Riley pointed out the frequency which with the ghosts of famous figures such as Benjamin Franklin appeared at the Fox's seances. One observer couldn't help noting that the great man's command of spelling and grammar had diminished terribly since passing over. Then there were times that Franklin and the other stiffs refused to turn up at all. Conditions weren't to their liking. At a performance in Buffalo, cushions were placed between the girls' feet and the wooden floorboards. Nothing but the sound of strained silence filled the air that night. Leah wheeled out her stock defense. The negative energy of cynics polluted the channel between the girls and the spirits. Only those of pure heart who believed without question would be able to witness definitive proof of the girls' powers. It was the circular logic of magical thinking, and it worked beautifully. End quote. In 1904, the newspapers reported that kids playing in the house, which was known as the Spook House by then, you know, the Hightwill House, the house where all of this had started. So the kids were playing in the house, and they discover some bones. Could it have been the bones of that poor, murdered, traveling salesman? In his writing, Arthur Conan Doyle himself reported that neighbors dug up the cellar and had found some bones. Other reports say an entire skeleton was found in the wall. <laughs> yeah. But those bones were ruled a probable hoax and appeared to be mostly animal in nature. There was no skeleton in the house and there was no proof anyone named Charles B. Rosner had even existed. But this all happened too late for the family who was thought to be living in the house when Charles Rosner was murdered. Yeah, that poor guy... <laughs> Yeah. You know, we talked about it last week, the poor guy who had to deny anything to do with murdering a man and everybody was like, okay, Yeah, sure, they totally thought he murdered so. somebody. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. So was it just an April Fool's joke that went far, far too far? It just, it reminds me of this after school special where there was this PSA about lying that I'm not going to sing. I'll post it in the group. And funnily enough, when I looked up the PSA to see if I could find it, I did. And it turns out it was an LDS thing. It's a Mormon thing. So that was a surprising tie-in. But could that literally be what happened here? It's just they told a little lie trying to scare their mother on April Fool's Day, but then it suddenly snowballed? Mm. I mean... Possible. I think it's possible, Yeah. Clearly, while some of what the sisters had done was just telling people what they wanted to hear, for example, Benjamin Franklin just crashing every seance at a time when 
seances were so common, the word was interchangeable with the word meeting. Like in the newspapers at that time, you'll see like the, I don't know, uh, the Elks Lodge is getting together for their weekly seance, but they don't mean that they're having a seance. They've just, it was literally interchangeable with the word meaning. That's how common they were. I don't think we can underemphasize also that this spiritualism movement and mediums coming to be a, a thing it was a first it for women speaking in public, women being able to voice messages of equality about ending slavery, about women's right to vote, suffrage. You know, were they really getting all these messages from the other side, from a more enlightened spirit? Or were they taking advantage of the platform to push this very important message and who could blame them if they were, right? A lot of what you read also points out that the telegraph was a pretty new form of communication when spiritualism started to form in the U.S. And so a lot of people probably felt like if you could suddenly speak to somebody on the other side of the ocean, maybe you could reach mm. the spirit world. There was just a lot that kind of came together at the right time to make spiritualism so popular. They were known to tell the grieving loved ones, for example, of, of the young men killed during the Civil War, that they were happy on the other side and had all their arms and legs again, which... I thought that was such an interesting thing that people would be concerned about. But yeah, on the other side, you're, you're okay again. The, the, the battlefield surgeons, you know, they, they took your leg, but on the other side, you have it back. So that's good news. But there was a lot of grieving and there was a lot of new stuff happening. And um, yeah, that's how you get a new religion. You see, that's that's one of the things I like about religion or whatever belief system one has. It can really give you comfort and hope. Mm -hmm. I experience this. I always say that I believe in an afterlife. And it's kind of a win-win situation for me. Because if I'm right, then yay. I mean, that's awesome, right? Yeah. And if I'm wrong, I'll never find out because I'll be dead. Uh, so, I mean... What's there to lose? The problem only starts when grieving people are taken advantage of by scammers and charlatans or when you hurt others or yourself because yeah. of religion, right? Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think it's really wonderful if you have spiritual or religious beliefs and they bring you comfort or peace. For me, my loss has changed me from a religious person to a more spiritual one. Like when I walk into a church, I don't feel comfort anymore. It's more of a feeling of betrayal, which is my own issue. <laughs> but I still go into cathedrals all the time. It's just I'm more interested these days in the architecture. But I still do light candles. I always light candles and shop in the gift shop. But I've been to mediums before. Some have been like ridiculously really bad, like really bad. But some have actually been shockingly accurate. And I personally, I do believe that some people have abilities that we would call psychic. I wouldn't be surprised if one day maybe quantum string theory is able to give us a scientific explanation for a lot of things that we don't understand. But as for the Fox sisters, yeah, I, I think... I don't know. I think probably that the girls started this as a fun joke and just never expected this to be the outcome of a little bit of trickery. And then suddenly the whole world is watching you, especially at that age. Their ages are interesting. We're pretty sure that the girls were around the ages of 11 and 15 when this all started. But when Maggie makes the confession of, you know, when she makes the big confession saying it was all a hoax, she claims in her speech that they were a lot younger. 
like a lot younger. I mean, she claims that they were a lot younger when they, they started to realize that they couldn't make noises with their joints and toes. That's true. Which is like, I, I kind of picture it like these uh, kids who, I don't know how you call them in English, the ones who are super stretchy, the stretchy kids yeah. where you have to start really early because when you got older, your joints get more stiff and, and you're not that flexible anymore. Yeah. So it's something that you would have to train constantly. But then I also wonder... I mean, the noises were pretty loud, right? Yeah. How can you make noises with your toes that are so loud that you can feel the vibration? I mean, I, I know she says it's because you imagine feeling the vibration, but if the noises are so loud and people are watching them and trying to figure out where the noises come from, I mean, you would hear, okay, that came from the direction of this person. I just, I think it was made up, but it's very impressive if they made it up. Right? To be heard in a in a packed hall full of people. Yeah. You know, my, my jaw can make some, some very loud noises when it pops, but I don't think you would hear it in like a, a packed theater. Oh, no. I have... Let's see if I... I don't know if you can hear any of that. I'm moving my wrists. But everything... Every time I move anything, it, it makes a noise, but I, it's rare that it would be loud enough to hear... Just because we can't do it, I guess, doesn't mean they couldn't do it. Just saying, it's impressive. If that's what happened, it's very impressive. And yeah. they had to practice it a lot. Yeah, you know, I agree. To perfection. Yeah. yeah. And then I ask myself, did their mother know? Because I don't think she was in on it. No, I don't think she ever knew anything. I think she was very superstitious and believed that this was all happening and wished it wasn't, is, my, is the impression I got from the mother. Yeah. I don't know. I do think it's interesting. So the author, James Fenimore Cooper, he was another big fan of theirs. He wrote Last of the Mohicans. He was able to meet with the Fox sisters and felt like he was able to connect with a beloved sister who had been killed in a horseback riding accident. And he felt that the girls were truly, truly gifted. I don't know if it was him. I think it might have been him who said that, like on his deathbed, that he was no longer afraid of death because he knew what was waiting for him on the other side and that it was his loved ones. And so I think it was him, but it doesn't really matter because isn't that kind of the goal, more or less, of religion, right? Is to have a sense of what comes after. I think there's... Yeah, sure. Yeah. You're trying to make sense of things that you don't understand. Yeah. Do you have a fear of death? No. No, me neither. Not anymore. The only thing that fear that I'm fearful of is to leave people behind hurt. Because it, yeah, I don't want to put people through that. That's the only thing. Other than that, I'm, I'm fine. I agree. I kind of I joke sometimes that I hope you can't see your loved ones like for a while after you die because I don't want to see anybody upset the way I've grieved. Mm. I don't want anybody grieving that way over me. You know what I mean? You just don't want to see. You don't want to yeah. see that. But I, yeah, like you. Now that I have so many loved ones who have gone before me, it's like well. Either I'll be with them again, or there's nothing. Exactly, that's what I mean. It's a win-win. You never, you, if there's nothing, you never know. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> what's to lose? Nothing. Yeah. So that's it, everybody. That is the really sort of complicated but fascinating, fascinating story of the Fox Sisters and the modern spiritualism movement in the United States. So interesting how many things, like it was this kind of perfect storm situation. Right. It really so was. So many things had to come together to make it huge. Yeah. Internationally huge. And also it's interesting how it came over here way later. Yes. Yeah. And also, I thought it was interesting that they talk a lot about 
how recently prior to these occurrences, what happened would have seen them hanged, right? Like they weren't that far from Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. And there were people still screaming witchcraft at them when these things happened. So there are people nowadays who would scream witchcraft at them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Do you have something good this week? Um, do you? <laughs> you go first. <laughs> My something good this week, I think we both mentioned it before, but again, this week is our listeners, because really, I do appreciate how open-minded and kind and understanding and tolerant they are as a community yes. and it brings so much joy to my heart and i just want to say thank you for being the best the bestest out there love you guys i agree we really do have the most amazing listeners yeah oh there was something i just saw and i was gonna recommend that you watch it it's a tv show it was something on tv and i was like oh this will be a good something good now can i not remember oh I know what my something good will be, and this is going to be something really silly, but that Wordle game that people either love or hate, and <laughs> everyone's posting their little Wordles. I've been just doing a Wordle in the morning with my tea, and it's it's kind of a nice way to wake up. It's just one quick little thing, and yeah, I'm team Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. If you... Like this episode, liked last week's episode, loved all of our episodes or just 10%. I don't care. Please go check on your podcast app if there's any way to leave us a rating and or review because it really does help us out. It helps the algorithm out to, you know, make us visible for others who might be interested in our podcast. And we actually do love to read the reviews. We love your reviews. What can I say? Please. Please. <laughs> Please, sir. <laughs> Please, can I have can I have some more reviews? Can we have some more reviews? Please. And anyone wants to get 1,000 reviews on iTunes USA. So oh, I really there, do. That's the goal. <laughs> oh, uh, something else. I have to say thank you, thank you, thank you for everybody who's voting for us on the Hot 50. Oh, my the gosh. The Hot yeah. 50 of the podcast magazine. They pushed us from 0 to 17. You can still vote daily. Uh, let's see if we make it another month on their Hot 50. It, that's amazing to me. I can't believe we have it's, the best. I love, uh, seriously, I completely, I didn't even check because I thought, well, meh, we're not going to be on there. You surprise us all the time. You're amazing. It. We have the best listeners. We really, really do. If you want to visit our webpage, it's freshhellpodcast.com. You will find links there where you can listen to us, links to purchase our merch. You'll also find information on our Patreon. You can also go to patreon.com and search for the Fresh Hell Podcast. Also, please come join our Facebook group. It is the nicest space on the internet, really. Just search Fresh Hell Murder and we should, we should pop up. Come join the group before we get zucked forever and, <laughs> and banned as a group promoting violence, which is so yeah, far from. Facebook hates us. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Please tell your pets we said hi. We love them. 
We miss them. We want to see all the photos of your pets. We're always so happy when you come and, and post the photos and send us the photos and tell the stories of your pets. It's adorable. We love it. Treat them nicely. Take them to the doctor when they don't feel great. Cuddle them, hug them, put them under the blanket because it's still cold uh, <laughs> in our hemisphere. And maybe also be nice to your to your ghosts in your house. They also deserve some love. Ghosts are people too. <laughs> also, be kind to your fellow human being and give them the benefit of the doubt at least once, please. Yeah, that's right. And if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. 